We're going to examine tonight, uh, we're going to look at Mark 1, verses 16 through 20. If you'll turn there, and while you're doing that, um, to somewhat paint the picture, uh, we're, we're speaking of the fishermen that were on the coast of Galilee. And if you can just envision, they had just finished another night of hard fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Historians tell us that predominantly all the fishing was done at night because the fish, the catch of the night, uh, had to immediately get to market before the heat of the day. And so they typically fished at night, and they came into shore and uh, got everything ready to go to market in the mornings. And in one boat, there's two brothers that are standing while they cast their nets into the sea. Maybe one last time to increase their catch. Uh, maybe, maybe they just didn't have enough and didn't feel enough, but these two brothers were continuing to cast their nets even though the sun was up. In another boat nearby, two brothers from a different family were mending their nets after the night of fishing. So things are winding down, and all the men are anxious to get their catch to market and then go home to get some rest. But a man come along on the seashore, and this was not the typical early morning stroll, nor was this the typical man. And so as we read our passage, beginning in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the call that you place upon our lives. And I pray that in the next few minutes, Lord, that you would help us to quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, see the word as you have had it written, dear Lord, and preserved it through the years, and help us to be burdened with this same call in our lives as you desire for us to become fishers of men. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now these men, maybe they had heard the stories that were evidently circulating at the time from John the Baptist and, and Jesus' uh, meeting in, in the river uh, and the baptism and all the things that had took place. And maybe they had heard these stories. But nonetheless, without a doubt, they had been waiting for the Messiah to come. Whatever their mindset was, we're not sure but we do know this. They recognize Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They immediately drop not just their nets, not just the things they were holding in their hands, but they immediately drop their complete livelihood. Everything they worked for, everything they toiled for, everything that provided for their families, they dropped it, and they followed him. So his call to them was simple. He said, come ye after me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Yet, it was a call that changed their lives forever. And friends, I've got news for you tonight. If you've answered that call in your life, your life has changed forever. It has not changed. Christ still calls us to become fishers of men. So he transformed them into some of the greatest fishers of men that the world has ever seen. 
I chose this passage for tonight's study because I'm convinced that Jesus wants to place the call in your life and in my life to become fishers of men, if we have not already. He wants that to be a burden on our hearts. He wants that to be a burden in our everyday walk to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So as we think about the truths that may be included in becoming fishers of men, I want to cover five very quickly tonight that I've outlined and are very important. And as he wants to transform us into fishers of men, the passage gives us a few insights on how that can come to pass. So number one, we must follow the right person. His call to them was simple, but notice that these men left everything. And that word follow is akalutho in the original Greek, and that means to not only follow, but to cleave to and conform to and adhere to, to cleave to this man that had called them on the Sea of Galilee. And you notice that they left everything and followed him, and their boats and their life as they knew it were in the past. They were looking forward. They didn't look back. As a matter of fact, they went on to learning. Jesus taught them much. Learn did they. They saw Jesus go into places from this point forward that they would have never went. They saw him go into situations and, and circumstances that they would have never contacted before. They saw Jesus do things that the religious crowd, listen, says don't do. Don't go there. Don't speak to a woman at a well that's got sin in her life. Don't deal with a demoniac that everybody's scared of and he's ripping people apart. Don't do it. But Christ called them to be fishers of men. And he emboldened them and strengthened them to do the things that he has laid before them. Folks, he does the same thing for us today. Too many times we miss the opportunities to take the strengths that Christ has instilled in us with the power of the Holy Spirit and do the things that he would have us to do. Too many times we overlook the circumstances of those around us that need these touches from Christ in their life in a lost and dying world. Do you get this picture? Jesus taught them one truth throughout his entire ministry with the disciples. He taught them that every life matters to God. It doesn't matter where you have to go. It doesn't matter how far you have to stoop. It doesn't matter how you have to speak to another person. Every life matters to Christ. So, the Christians around the world today might have a different idea about the approach that Jesus took. You know, many times in the modern-day churches and with, with modern-day uh, so-called Christians, uh, they want to look for people that might be found in their economic bracket. They might look for people that might be found in their ethnic background or of the same skin color. They might even look for people with a background of religion similar to theirs. Christ went after all. He died for all. So listen to this. Jesus loved and cared for all, and every drop of blood spilled from the cross at Calvary had no names on it. But you know what it did have on it? Humanity. He died, and he bled, and he sacrificed, and he offers that to all of humanity. So Christ was for the multitudes. Truth number two, 
we must make the right preparations. In verse 19, we see James and John are seen mending their nets. And in the original Greek text, this word means to render complete, strengthen, or fortify. They're mending their nets. Why must this take place? Well, every time they went out to fish and they, and they used their nets and the nets would get caught on things on the bottom and they pulled them up with great force. And, and even the force of the, the great weight of the fish within the nets, they, they put wear and tear on the nets. So after the night's fishing or whenever the session was, they would take those nets and they would mend them. They would tie them back and they would secure them for the next uh, uh, time they would be out fishing. The next time they would drop those nets. So they were mending their nets. And in other words, they're busy getting their nets ready to cast. And they want to be sure that there's no holes and the fish can't swim through. They want to make sure their nets are strong and will not break. If we're going to be effective as fishers of men, we have to form and fashion our lives so that our nets are strong. We have to be ready to catch the fish and secure them and hold them. So be sure, first of all, of your own salvation. Be sure and understand that you had no part in it outside of total surrender to our helpless plight of the Adamic curse. Be sure of your own salvation. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, it reads, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Our sufficiency is from God alone and resting on no other shoulders. And also, uh, uh, Peter reads in 2 Peter 1.10, Peter writes, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Can you imagine a promise of never falling if you practice these qualities? And yet know what the Lord did for you and how to share it with someone else. The first, and, and, and first prerequisite of witnessing to anybody, know what God did for you in his simple terms and know how to share it with somebody else. Your best witnessing tool is the simple story of how Jesus saved you and changed your life. This does not require you to be a theologian. It's very simple terms. And that's why they sometimes uh, coin it as childlike faith. But think about the blind man that Christ had healed. He had restored his sight. He had been blind from birth, and Christ gave him sight, not restored it, but actually instilled it. He gave him sight. The blind man had been, had been given sight, and what did, the, what did the Sadducees and the Pharisees do? They immediately attacked. You see, they're already on the war path for Christ. They want, to, they, want to form, they want to form a militia against him. They want to take him. They want to kill him. And they're just looking for reasons and circumstances that they can build against him. They're already after Christ. So they come to the blind man. And they went to his parents first. And they said, you'll have to go to him. He's an adult. He's the one that was healed. Go talk to him. What was the first thing they asked the blind man? They said, did he sin when he healed you? And what did he reply? He said, in John 9, 25, answering the Pharisees, he said, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But listen, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. 
Now I see. So be ready to give your story in the simplest of terms, the simplest of terms, as you relate what Christ has done for you. Also be prayerful and ready for the Lord to use you when he allows opportunities to witness come your way. Be ready. Pray for it. Pray that God will give you the words. Pray that God will give you the circumstances. And here's the hard one. Pray that God will put somebody in your path that needs to hear the gospel. Pray those prayers because God will answer those prayers. 1 Peter 3.15 1 Peter 3.15 But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what kind of shape are your nets of life in tonight? What does what your nets look like? Do they need mending? Do they need strengthening? Do they need re-sewing, re re-threading? What are our nets looking like tonight? We need to close the holes and strengthen them to be ready for the catch that God will provide. What are our hindrances in our walks of life that, that keep our nets from being ready? So many things we could go into that we don't have time. But think about the attitudes we sometimes develop as we deal with uh, just people in every walk of life, in the workplace, um, in, in other places that we come in contact. We develop attitudes when things are not the way we perceive they should be. Think about the frustration with circumstances uh, in our lives that bring on bitterness, that bring on disdain for other people. And we're not really seeing them as that valuable soul that Christ wants to save. Those are hindrances in our lives. Truth number three, we must find the right process to share. We must have the right process to share with the lost and dying world. Verse 16 tells us that Peter and Andrew were casting their nets when Jesus found them. The lesson for those of us who would be fishers of men are this. We are, be, we are to be in the business of casting our nets. You see, if we, go, if we go about our everyday walk in life and we never look for the opportunity to catch those fish, to cast those nets of the gospel, they won't arrive. They won't arrive. We have to be in the business of looking for opportunities, exploring opportunities, going the extra miles with somebody you just met on the Sunday service, in the parking lot, wherever it may be. Hey, where have you been going to church? What's your background? What's your history? What brought you here today? And what did you glean from the sermon? And on and on and on. Maybe a Sunday school class. We have to be looking for opportunities to share the gospel. Or they won't come around. He went. Christ went. He went about his daily life. And he used every situation as an opportunity to tell of his love and his goodness. Every situation. He used bread to speak to a hungry multitude. He talked about seed to farmers, money to merchants, and on and on and on. Christ brought everyday circumstances right to the forefront to speak of things that are holy and the salvation that he had to offer. He used the ordinary run-of-the-mill experiences to get the message out, and I'm a firm believer of this truth. Every conversation can be turned into a conversation about Christ. There's not a conversation you can have that you can't turn it into a conversation about Christ. And that's what Christ was continually doing, continually ready. So what is the process for you? 
Is it the Romans road? I have seen many people come to Christ after the, the, the adapting of the Romans road to their heart, to their mind, and, and, and actually exploring the, the, the circumstances and everything that had to do with the Romans road. Many people have come to Christ. Is it as simple as John 3.16? Well, that's how simple it is. John 3.16, For he did so love the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that includes, that world includes you lost person that you're applying it to, so it's that simple as well. And those will work just fine, but in reality, the right process is a spirit-filled saint of God simply telling, uh, 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 it boils down to witnessing that just we are one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. That's all it is. We're just, we're just a beggar. We're just sinners saved by this grace that are willing to share the same salvation that became evident in our lives. So it is one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. And it worked in my life, and it worked in your life if you've accepted Christ. God will use that same process through us to touch others if we are obedient and we seize the opportunities. Number four, we must fish the right places. I would assume that Peter and Andrew were casting their nets into the water. You know why? Because that's where the fish are. They're not up there on the sand. They're in the water. I had a dear, dear friend, and still do, and he's still a dear friend, although we don't have much contact anymore, was probably the greatest fisherman in this town and may still be. Uh, and he's getting some years on him. Uh, he's, his name is David McGraw, and, and they used to actually nickname him Brush Pile. Uh, he was the greatest crappy fish, fisherman out on Lake Wiley that I've ever heard tell of. And everybody... Uh, just they kind of love to hear David's stories, and they love to see him bring those buckets after buckets of fish in. And one day he asked me to go fishing. I couldn't wait, and I have I've never been a a, a very avid fisherman. I enjoy it. Uh, didn't ever really find a lot of time for it, but I went with him. And as we went out on on Lake Wiley, when we left the the boat ramp, uh, it was completely dark, and I thought, Oh Lord, where are we going? And we went out in the middle of that uh, lake, and as soon as it got daylight, David, he turned the motor off and turned the trolling motor on, and he got ready positioned, and he said, get that anchor, get it ready. And I, I'm holding the anchor, and David got really positioned. He said, all right, drop it. And I dropped it right there. We never moved for two hours. Caught about 60 fish in two hours. He was right on top of a brush pile he had put into the water to prepare to draw the fish. And boy, did it draw them. It drew them. And so he was so renowned when, it, when we got back to the, the workplace on Monday, some of the other guys that were fishermen themselves, they said, hey, where'd old Dave take you to? Could you, go, could you get back there again? I said, no, I don't think I could. But they knew, he knew where to go. He knew where the fish were. Listen, that's the same thing with spreading the gospel and the opportunities to spread the gospel. We have to go where the fish are at. Where is that? Well, it's outside the walls of this building. It's inside the walls of this building. And it's everywhere that you'll go. It may be inside of the walls of your workplace. It may be inside of the walls of any place you come in touch with. But we have to go where the fish are at. That's where the gospel can be shared. We are to be active in our church 
and, and be active as far as getting the message out, which Park Baptist Church does a great job of in reaching out in love and kindness to the, to the lost and dying world. But we also have to be active in our personal lives. We have to be witnesses in our personal lives. We preach the gospel here, but we must also preach the gospel in our lives and outside of these doors. Are we doing it? Haggai 2.19 Haggai 2.19 reads this, Is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. What, what is the writer saying here? Do you have this seed? Are you ready to spread it? Are you ready to spread it and it hit it on fertile ground and then you uh, uh, harvest a bounty because you spread the seed? Or is it still in the barn? See, if the seed's still in the barn and hadn't been scared or scattered, it's of no use. Most of those seeds are not edible. They can't be eaten. But yet, if they're in the barn and not spread to where they can get to that fertile ground, they're of no use. So we must diligently sow the gospel seed. As long as the seed sits in the barn, it cannot be planted, it can't germinate, and therefore we won't produce a harvest. Number five, we must furnish the right patience. Um, when I was saved in 1987, there was a uh, click in my mind. All of a sudden, I was on fire for God, and I said, I'm going, I work in this maintenance department down here at this paper mill, and I'm going to win everybody in this maintenance department to Christ. One by one, I'm going to win them all to Christ. Guess what? Not going to happen. But I'll tell you what I did. I at least put a seed in every one of them's mind. And that's all I could do because the harvest belongs to Christ. The harvest belongs to God. We're to simply spread the seeds. Spread the seeds. We must always furnish the right patience. Notice that Jesus said to Peter and Andrew, I will make you become fishers of men. You see, it's a process. As we grow in Christ and as we grow in spiritual things and spiritual avenues in our lives, we are to spread these seeds and be patient. We're to be patient. God has his finger on the harvest button. So it would take some time for them to become fishers of men. And that was in the future tense. In other words, they would get there, but it's going to take some time. What I like is this. Jesus saw the potential in their lives before the potential was evident. Christ already knew it. So... What did these four men become? These four men that laid down their very lives and livelihood that morning and followed Christ. No questions. They laid it down and followed him. What did they become? Well, Peter became a preacher that led thousands to Christ and a Bible book author. Andrew became a personal witness to thousands. James became a martyr. John, he was a preacher, a pastor and the author of five New Testament books, including the Revelation, and a man that was in an intimate relationship, an intimate love with Christ himself that Christ called a brother. That's what John became. But notice that Jesus, Jesus chose them. They didn't choose him. Jesus chose them. He simply called, and they went. So is he calling us tonight? Is he calling us in our lives today? Well, what did these gentlemen, each and every one of them, have to do to heed that call? First of all, they had to listen. They had to listen for the call. 
and call he did. You may feel this evening like you'll never be a witness. I've been there. You want to see people saved and you want to point people to heaven, but you feel so inadequate that you just don't know how that's going to work. You feel so unprepared that you just can't fathom how that will come about in your life. Listen, if Jesus can take these ignorant, unlearned, smelly fishermen and make the fishers of men that he made them, he can do it in our lives as well. We simply have to lay our livelihoods down and follow him. And follow him. Christ has ordained us as fishers of men. Acts 1.8 reads, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. My challenge to you tonight is get those nets mended, get after Jesus, and show you, let him show you where the fish is and go to him. Go to it with a fervency. We have an obligation to see those fields that are white for harvest, and yet the laborers are few. We have to become laborers, and we have to become the fishermen that Christ has designed us to be. The harvest after that is, is his responsibility. That's his avenue. We're simply to get out there, find those fish, and spread those seeds. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to open and divide your word. We thank you for these men that are such great examples, Lord of what we should be in our lives and help it to burden our hearts, dear Lord, to, to be more of what you designed us to be and what you saved us to be, dear Lord, and that's those busy about spreading the gospel. Lord, help us to always be a gospel-focused church, dear Lord, as we are. Help us to always be mindful of the lost that are around us right outside the doors and, Lord, sometimes even inside the doors. Help us to always be looking for those opportunities to, to tell others what you've done in our lives and how you've changed us, dear Lord, and, and how uh, walking with you is the way to salvation. Lord, we pray that you would be with us in all that we say and do and uh, be with us at the next appointed time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.